We're going to be reading through this, these 12 verses in Malachi 3. Next week, we'll close out our series in Malachi 4. The series is called The Father's Heart. And we've seen how the book of Malachi exposes, reveals the heart of the Father. The first week, we looked at how God is uh, full of, the Father's heart is full of perfect love. So no matter what we do, God's love is perfect. Even when we are imperfect, when we disobey, his love still covers and atones for our sins. And then we looked at how God, in his heart, he uh, gave Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. So in, in, in the book of Malachi, 430 BC, the people of God were bringing sacrifices that were polluted. They, they, they were giving God their leftovers. And thank God that God did not give us his leftovers. He gave us his one and only son to be the perfect sacrifice. And then we looked at God's promises that inside of his heart are these promises that are yes and amen. They will always be true no matter what, even in the midst of unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness to God. And in the case of the uh, book of Malachi, unfaithfulness in the covenant of marriage. So we spent some time looking at that in the last week. We looked at God's protection inside of his heart, man, he wants to protect us like a father who disciplines his children. It's never comfortable and it's never good, but it is uh, the best for us. And so I hope this week, as you looked at your, uh, you know, the, the, the going through the refiner's fire, I hope that you saw things that God wants to remove, impurities that he wants to remove in your life so that we can become more like him this morning. We're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, and that is money. Uh, we're going to look at how God is the provider, the provider. I want to ask you, what is the top stressor in your life. You may be thinking, Jose, we've worshiped. I feel good. And now you're making me feel not good by asking me this question. What is the number one stressor in your life? But I, I want you to think about it because I want you to filter it through the, these 12 verses in the book of Malachi. And I hope if I do my job and we read these verses that, that you will leave here more free. You will leave here more at peace. You will leave here filled with God's peace with that thing that is causing you so much stress. It may be a relationship in your family. It may be a sin issue. It may be your finances. 73% of Americans, there was a poll done, 73% of Americans said that finances were their number one stressor in life. More than politics, believe it or not, family, even work circumstance. Finances cause us a lot of stress. Maybe that's yours. And if that's the case, then good news. The Bible talks about how to handle our circumstances thoroughly. In fact, J.D. Wilhelmer, college pastor, wrote a devotional this week. If you don't get those, you should sign up for the daily devotionals every single morning. There's a verse in a short little devo to start off your day, 4 a.m. So even with the time change, should be uh, around the time you wake up, right? 4 a.m. wake up call. Anybody else? Uh, in his devotional, he talked about one of the verses that we're going to talk about this morning, and, and he noted that the Bible talks about prayer. Around 500 verses or so talk about prayer in the Bible. 500, less than 500, focus on faith. 
And more than 2,300 verses in the Bible talk about how to handle our circumstances. And that's by design because God wants to teach us his way to handle our finances. He doesn't want us to stay in the dark. He doesn't believe in the separation of church and finances. Okay. He wants them to be one in the same. And that's what Malachi is talking about here is he's giving them not only correction, but direction on how to handle their circumstances. So we're going to start in Malachi, we're going to read verse 7 all the way through the end of chapter 3. And then I want to dissect four takeaways that we need to learn on how to handle our finances according to these verses. Here we go. Malachi 3, starting in verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from the decrees and have not kept them for my decrees. Return to me and I will return to you. So this is storyline of scripture. God blesses, God gives, and then what do we do? We disobey. We go our own way, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? We've looked at a lot of questions in the book of Malachi. People ask God questions and God is so kind to respond. Again, he is clear. And he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse. We're going to talk about what that curse is. Your whole nation. So this isn't just a one-person thing. This is the whole nation. We've talked about the Levites some in the book of Malachi. He's calling out everybody because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, not some of it, not almost all of it, but the whole tithe. We'll talk about what the tithe is into the storehouse. We'll talk about what the storehouse is, that there may be food in my house. I love this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Trust me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines and your fields and will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. This is the second point of conviction. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who fear the Lord, talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. This is the word of the Lord. That was true in 430 BC, and it is true here in our lives. It's a beautiful picture of a God who provides all things to his people and then says, hey, trust me, follow my ways, and you will see blessing. We'll talk about the right way to uh, understand God's blessing when we give. First, can we all just take a deep breath? And exhale, 
We're not going to take an offering at the end of this gathering, okay? There's not going to be a big ask. We're going through the book of Malachi, understanding that the Father's heart for us is good, and he wants to understand his way. So maybe this is the first time you've been to church in a while, and you're like, oh, of course we're talking about money. We don't talk about money all the time, but in this case, we are definitely going to hit it. Again, we don't shy away from hard passages. What do we do? We lean in. We lean in and we see, what does this mean for me in my life? How can I put this into practice? What is this teaching me about God? And what is this teaching me about myself? First, well, second or third, wherever we are, whatever point, before I get to the actual points, I want to say thank you. You are an incredibly generous church. So when it says here, like you're robbing me, uh, that's not us, okay? Uh, Some of us individually, uh, maybe if we're not giving and we just, maybe we're not giving because we just don't know why we give or how to give. But Cypress Creek Church, you're an incredibly generous church. I'm going to talk about a story here a little later to prove that. But let's look at these first few verses and talk about the point that it's making here. Ever since the time of your ancestors, verse 7, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. So he's saying, how are we robbing you? By uh, You're under a curse and tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, whole nation, because you are robbing me. So the first thing that they were not recognizing is they were not recognizing that God was the source. He was the provider. That's something that we need to recognize from the beginning, that God owns everything. He is the one that has given us everything. You've said, I've worked hard for my money, Jose. Yeah, you you probably have. Absolutely. You've multiplied resources. Way to go. However, were you born? Did you choose to be born in the family that you were born with? Or at the time that we're born in now, where the country, we live in the most prosperous, abundant country in the entire nation? No. No, if you moved here from them, I'm not from this country, but I moved here, you know, and and I I did not choose uh, to be placed in this time in space. God chose that. He provided me life in this time. It's the same for you and I. He is the provider. If we miss this, we've missed everything. We got to recognize that God is the provider. When we do that, we have an abundant mentality, an abundance mentality. Abundance mentality says this. I have enough. I have enough. No matter if it's a little or a lot. When we have an abundance mentality, we say, I have enough. And it's the polar opposite of a scarcity mentality, which says, I will never have enough. Some of the wealthiest people on planet earth have a scarcity mentality. That's why they continue to accumulate wealth, because they are never satisfied with what they have. When we believe that God is the provider, we have an abundance mentality. We have enough. Whatever God's given us, it is enough. It's from above. David, King David, had an abundance mentality. We're talking about the temple, bringing the store, a whole tithe to the storehouse. We'll talk about that here in a second. Before the temple was built, David actually uh, prayed and, and gave direction on how the temple was to be built. And he says this in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. This is an abundance mentality. But who am I, says David, and who are my people? That's the people of God, the Israelites, that we could give anything to you. That's God. Everything we have has come 
from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. So maybe for us, the first step that we need to do is just recognize that God owns it all, that it's all his. And uh, so we can just recognize that he provided those things for us. And we can say, Lord, thank you. I have enough. That, that's enough. And, and for that, I am grateful. If we start there, then we can keep on going. If we start at the time, bring the whole store. Th-. He doesn't start. He's saying, hey, return to me. You're, you're taking, you're robbing something that is mine. Recognize where you got that from. It is from above. If you got that first point, say amen. All right. Three people are with me. Thank you, mom. And Two people. Uh, Verse 10. Now here we go. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Man, whole tithe. Not partial, not some, not almost. Whole tithe. What is a tithe? Tithe is 10%. So back then, the Levitical code and the law that Moses gave to the Israelites, he said, hey, give the first fruits. So the first bunch of grain or, or the first bit that you grow on your land, give that. To God. That's the tithe, the first 10%. And what is the storehouse? The storehouse is the temple. That's where those grains were stored so that what? That there may be food in my house. See, if you're thinking, well, okay, I got that everything's from God. Understood. I didn't work that hard for it, or he placed me here on earth at the time that he did and the place that he did, all, all those things, circumstances. But I don't want to give to the church. And if that's you, let me join you. I, I, I was totally there. When I first started coming to church, I had actually just been freed from legalism. You know, I grew up thinking if I give to God, he will bless me. And then I realized that doesn't always work out. Anybody else go through that? And you're like, man, I'm doing, 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 and God's not. What's up, God? Are you, what's going on? And then I realized, no, 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 no. We don't get, he gave his life for me so that I can be free. And so one of those things that he freed me from was this uh, concept of, obligation, having to do something, someone telling me to. So one of the first things that I remember thinking is, I don't want to give my money. I was a college student. I didn't have a lot of money. But still, you know, it's like, this is my money. I've worked for this. And plus, I don't know if I trust that guy on the stage who now is my father-in-law. Okay. I was like, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know what he's doing with my money, all $20 a month worth, you know? And, and, and here's, here's the point. I wish someone would have told me this, that it's not, you don't give to the church, you give through the church. See, there was a temple back then where all the stuff, all the goods for the community, they came so that people would come to the temple. The poor would go to the temple to get food, to get resources. Fast forward, Jesus, now where's the temple? In here, we are the church. And get this, we, the church, gather to then go out into the community so that we can provide for their needs. And what I didn't understand is that the church giving financially provided a way for us to afford paying a man to be a college pastor so that he can spend his time on the Texas State uh, campus chasing, you know, knuckleheads like me so that we can come to know Jesus, so that we can be disciples, so that he can read the word with us, pray for us. See, I was in that seat because of giving through the church. Man, if I would have gotten that, I would have given those $20. Another thing that stops us is the tithe is 
a lot. 10%? Are you sure that that's supposed to be like, you know, that's a lot of money, especially if we make a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Two things. One, it's interesting. If you research now, there's secular tithing, meaning that people are saying out in, in the world, hey, if you give 10% of your income away, uh, you'll live a happier life. You'll have more fulfillment. They're not even talking about, you know, give it to the, no, don't worry. If you give that money away, there's something about that 10%. Remember when I said that God is clear with us? He didn't say, how much should I give? Well, we don't have to wonder that. There's that 10%, so we can just give it. And just to make you relax. Now, overseers, leadership of the church does believe, and we practice this, we give 10% of our income through the church, so to this church. Here's something cool. If that's a lot for you, try $5 a month, $10 a month, $100 a month. Try this and that. Give to other uh, things. Watch what that does to free you. And then if all of us were to tithe to something, I guarantee you this world would be a much better place. Not only to the church, but, but the church would have, every, trust me, church would have absolutely no financial need. We can build something incredible through God's design of using imperfect people for his perfect purposes. It is a mystery that God chooses this thing called this organism. We're alive called the church to bring about God's purposes here on earth. The tithe, important. The storehouse, important. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. So they were tithing mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without, keyword, neglecting the former. So what he's saying is, you know, the why behind our giving is justice, is mercy, is faithfulness. And you're just going through the motions without recognizing the why. And, and you know, I... I have dug into this, and we're like, well, Old Testament says 10th, so this is the only time that Jesus talks about the tithe in the New Testament, so should we practice the tithe as the church? Well, let me uh, talk about this for just a moment. When Jesus said, um, you've heard it said that you should not commit murder, right? That was the bar in the law, and the same thing as the tithe. There was the bar. And then what does he say in, in, in the Beatitudes? I say to you, Whoever has hate for his brother or sister in his heart, you've committed murder. Did he lower the bar or did he raise the bar? He raised the bar. I, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. Is that lowering the bar or raising the bar? He's raising the bar. So do you think he would lower the bar with the tithe? No. He's, he's been clear. He's saying, hey, try this. Test me in this. It's God's goodness. It's his best for us. He's saying, hey, I'm going to provide, trust me, and watch what I give to you. Uh, Cybersecurity Church, big deal. Uh, I'm accountable to God. <laughs> One day I will be face-to-face. -face. And uh, he, and with the other overseers, we're going to have to give an account to God as to how we stewarded your giving 
to God through the local church. So uh, 25% goes to pastoral care, 11% facilities to keep the lights on, 10% operations, that's the coffee, that's a lot of things to uh, do this and so that we can drop Easter uh, eggs uh, via the helicopter. So that's under the operations cost. 10%, all of that money to missions goes outside of the walls of Cypress Creek Church to our local and our global ministry partners. Here's the cool thing. That's outside of the walls. Well, what else is inside of the walls? Man, 10% to students, 10% to kids, 8% to crosstalk, so that the emerging generations would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, so that we can have people on the ground sharing God's love in a passionate and in a personal and intimate way. We're on mission, 9% to worship and 8% to communication, so that you can have all the resources right there in your email, inbox, and beyond. That's the work of the local church right now. That's going to fluctuate and change. What's not going to fluctuate is that 10%. I hope that that only continues to increase because the needs are plentiful here in this community. I love how the temple was the place where we gather. Here, uh, we are the temple, and so we gather, and then what God does in here is beautiful, and we go out and we meet the needs outside. We give through the church. Second Corinthians, Paul is talking about this offering. He is passing the buckets in the church of Corinth for the church in Jerusalem. And he says this really important principle. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Makes sense, right? The more seeds you plant, the greater the harvest. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, which takes the pressure off of me. There's no pressure. You decide in your heart. Why? Because God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously, there it is, provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered for a little time. Nope, forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Did you catch that? He gives you so that you can do what? Give it away. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank not you, they'll thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Here's what Paul understood, that the church that gives is the hope of the world. The more we give through the church, the more hope increases in our community, in our country, and throughout the world. Isn't that crazy that God chooses to use his church as his vehicle of hope? Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that's the case. Here are our points. Let's recap one and two. We have recognized God as our provider, then freely give through the kingdom, through his way of giving. And then third, you may say, well, I've done that. Here it is. Trust God through disappointment, because that's what's next in this passage in Malachi. The people are disappointed. Uh, God says, you have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Here's verse 14, their disappointment. You have said, we say to God, it is futile to serve God. 
What do we gain? By carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty. Now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. Even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. What they're saying is that life isn't going the way that they planned. That when they obey, there's still chaos. There's still confusion. There's still trouble here on this earth. And so what do they do? They get stingy. They don't give through anymore. They keep and they try to take. We, we do this. We try to take control of what is not ours. Their times are really hard. This is post-exile. People of God were in a foreign land. They come back to Israel and now they're really, you know, struggling. What, what it's things aren't the way they used to be. There were a lot of financial trouble. The family dynamic was breaking apart. There's a lot of confusion. We see that in our culture too. So what are we to do? We're still we're, we're to stay steadfast and trust in God through disappointment. This is what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter six. When we are disappointed, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also what Jesus is saying is if you trust me and in my way, your heart will be uh, with, with mine and, and you'll trust me. If, if, if you uh, invest in the kingdom, you'll watch what he does in your life. Again, not in a material way, but in a spiritual way. See, what he's fighting against is materialism. Tim Keller defines materialism as this. It's a greed. It's, it, greed is a sin. Materialism and greed is a sin of the eye that blinds us. It is excess, concern for, worry about, love of, or need for money and possessions. And the problem is, is that oftentimes we can't see it. So what do we do? What do we do? We need to stay alert and we need to ask ourselves, where am I storing my treasures? Well, good news. Where are we spending our time and where are we spending our money? Those are the two places that will reveal where our treasure is. And so I did this last week. I wanted to, you know, not only talk the talk, but I wanted to walk the walk. I uh, checked where my money was going and I wrote a check because I realized I was behind. We need to continually do this. This was something that the whole nation was going through and something that we need to ask ourselves continually. Where are we in this? Again, because you can't see it. He goes on to talk about the eye is the lamp that provides light for the body. So when the eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. But when the light, uh, and, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, it's a deep darkness. And so then in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are are, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Bring back that first question I asked you. What are you stressed about? Man, he gives us these seemingly insignificant things, doesn't he? Think about the birds. 
Go outside. Today's a little bit more muggy, but yesterday was perfect, right? What do we do to earn a day like yesterday? Nothing. Just receive it and remember, man, those birds are chirping. It means God's going to take care of me. We don't have a lot of lilies, but if we did, you know, the wildflowers, God takes care of those. He's going to take care of me. He's the God who provides even through disappointment. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's a lot of verses, but I, was, I didn't want to miss a word because those are the words of Jesus for us in every circumstance. We don't need to worry. He's going to provide. If this is a disappointing season for you, these words of Jesus are for us, that we may trust in him, in his way, seek his kingdom, and live out our faith, live righteously. Love the song, Hymn, uh, written in 1882 by Louisa M. R. Steed. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, someone help me, and to know, thus saith the Lord. Why am I going to trust in God? Because he tells me to. And as his child, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to fall under his covering as a father who loves me and protects me, which leads me to this last point. We are God's treasured possession. If you don't hear anything else this morning, listen to these words in verse 16. Then those, not all, those, some who fear the Lord, they talk to one another. It's almost like they were at church. And the Lord heard, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Man, when we understand that we are God's treasured possession, that we are precious to him, only then can we make him ours. Only then can we say, Lord, all my treasures belong so you have a quick story of you as a, as a church in 2020 when there was so many uncertainties, so many things happening here left and right. I mean, every, I mean, no one knew what was going on, and we didn't either. We were trying our best with the information that we had in this PPP, the Paycheck Protection Plan. Remember that? Some of us, man, received that, and it helped us get through that time. That was available for small businesses, and it was also available for churches. Churches could qualify to receive government funding to care for those under a staff of a church church. And so we as overseers, we, we, we talked about it and, and we prayed about it. And we're like, what do we do? We don't know what is coming. Well, uh, overseers came together and said, nope, 
We're not going to receive government funding because it's not the government's responsibility to take care of God's affairs. It's the people of God that are to rise up in care for God's people and God's affairs. We are the hope of the world. We're independents, okay? We're not like those other things and political parties on the outside. We're God's treasured possession. That's collectively, but it's also something that we need to recognize individually. Once we realized that this cracker and this little juice that we just drank was not free, only then does giving 10% make sense. Because it wasn't free. Jesus paid the price by the whips that his body took for our sin. Those were consequences that you and I deserved, and yet he gave himself freely. So he says, hey, my treasured possession. Be about my business and watch me bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. Uh, worship team, you can come back up. I want to uh, invite you. If something I said, you're like, man, I got, I got some business uh, to take care of. Uh, let's not do that alone. So this is called the altar. You can come forward and just you individually with the Lord, lay those things at your feet. Maybe lay the fear of not knowing what is next. Or maybe it's a scarcity mentality that you're ready to release and just say, Lord, you've, what you've given to me is enough. I believe that it's powerful when we come up front and, and we surrender those things before the Lord, but in the presence of one another. But we also have people that will be here in their uh, pastoral team members in prayer Uh, team members that that are here to pray with you. If there is something that you need to do in order that you may walk out of these doors more free than when you came in, if you're able, please stand and pray with me. Jesus, I thank you that you see each one of us. And uh, what we talked about last week, you see gold, you see value in each of us. And so, Lord, may we receive that today, and out of that, may we give back to you. I thank you for this place that is uh, set apart for the reading of your word, for ministry. Lord, I, I, I pray for healing in this place. I pray for restoration, brokenness, God, in the area of uh, finances, I speak hope and freedom. We thank you that you are God who provides every single day.